Welcome to Sacred Realms. It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast for the second to last time in the front half of season six of this show. I am your host, Lyndon Willoughby, and this is typically the part where I would say that I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt Willoughby. Unfortunately, Matt has had some life circumstances arise. He's fine. Don't worry about him too much. He'll be back next week. Unfortunately, he cannot join us for this episode. So what was I to do? Well, I think the only uh, logical course of action would be to bring on not only one extra guest, but two extra guests, and thus the balance is maintained. Ladies and gentlemen, I am uh, pleased to welcome back onto the podcast returning uh, returning favorites, the brothers Ben and Pat over at Hyrule Podcasters, and this is where I let you guys do do your whole your whole thing. Oh, we got a whole thing. Oh, we uh, got a whole thing. You got a whole thing. Well, we got it. I should have teed it up better. So this is, of course, uh, Ben and Pat, the uh, brothers that you know and love over at Hyrule what's going on what's going on what up what up by the way i thought you did a fine tea but i did like the mulligan i'm about the mulligan why not no that's cool that's cool we're we're about we're about grace and uh and forgiveness on this show so it's cool and I think, in fairness, you know, I think it start. I think that started a little squirrely, and then towards the end, we really got yeah, it synchronized. Definitely, so definitely, yeah, yeah. good stuff. Some sometimes you just look. You know, we've been recording for for twenty five, you know, forty five seconds here. So like, yeah, I mean, we're 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 kind of we're, we're jumping in cold, but we got there in the end. We're warmed up. <laughs> we're ready to record a show. Um, how are y'all doing? It's been a minute. Ben, you want to start? Yeah, so uh, we're doing well. I mean, we're still on a break uh, after our last season playing Ocarina of Time, getting ready to um, start on the Game Boy Color Edition, uh, Link's Awakening DX. Link's Awakening DX, here we come. We've been taking a hiatus. We've been doing a lot of podcasts, past stuff in the meantime, been being proper nerds, doing some Sandman uh, the comic stuff, but I just cannot wait to get back and play Link's Awakening DX. It's so funny because I, so we were recording our episode last week with Josh from Zelda Universe. And um, so we got him on the horn and we're just catching up a little bit. And I was like, oh yeah, it's fun. You know, we're going to be with Ben and Pat from Hyrule Podcasters uh, next week. And uh, Josh is like, no way. I just recorded yeah. an episode with them. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. been making the rounds. It was fun. We haven't put out our episode yet. But I think by the time this airs, it will be out. I think uh, that's right. Ca- yeah, it's yeah, good meeting right. him. Care if I care if I ask what the uh, what the topic was? Oh, Ben, actually, <laughs> we can't reveal because we just chatted about this and that. But Ben came up with this really cool game that he played uh, with Joshua, and I th- I think it's better left as a surprise. Am I right, Ben? Yeah, I, th- I think so. So um, essentially. <laughs> I had listened to Joshua on a bunch of other of our, you know, friends podcast. You know, he's been, you know, making the rounds ever since he announced that he was pretty much up for inter- interviews on anyone's podcast. I think everybody pretty much hit him up in the in the Zelda universe. 
uh, trademark. Um, and what um, <laughs> I figured, but kind of everybody asked him the same questions. And so I decided to deliberately not ask him any questions um, about, you know, favorite Zelda, first Zelda, you know, mm. give me your rankings. Uh, and instead, I devised this game that took up the first like 20 minutes of the interview. Uh, and I, I had fun. Patrick had fun. I'm pretty sure Joshua had fun, too. So, yep. If yeah. he didn't have fun, he was kind enough to pretend like he was having fun. That is true. He was a very because <laughs> we definitely yeah. like dropped it on like I'm going to make up a game that you're going to play, and he's like, "All right, I'm know. down." I didn't even know uh, going in. Yeah, so I mean, he told me that he had fun. So unless we okay. were all separately being lied okay. to, <laughs> yeah. amazing. Um, That's great. How have you been? I love that. There's no. Oh, I mean, I'm good. I was just gonna say, there's no better way to there's no better way to take up, you know, a, a few minutes of pod than just like coming up with a game on the spot, yeah, absolutely, and uh, and just rolling. I mean, we 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 got our our excellent collaborative episode um, where we did our Zelda draft picks in much the same oh, way. Oh yeah, that was a, that was, that was a, a huge success. Yeah, absolutely. I'm learning that, and this is something that Ben's kind of realized later in life that you don't have to be able to like draw really well or play a, an instrument to be creative. You know, there's so many ways to be creative in the business world or the sports world or like every field has games to play, you know, and within games, there's always room for creativity. Yeah. Yep. I think that that is that's very true. As a creative professional, I would uh, I would definitely echo the sentiment that creativity is uh, is never to be pigeonholed. It is fluid and it exists in many forms. So. And then obviously our biggest thing uh, is that we launched a, a podcasting network, Odd Conduit Media. Uh, we launched the second show on that network, The Sandman Unlocked, which uh, covers the Sandman comic book and television series. And are getting ready later this fall to come out with our third podcast, which is a uh, podcast that'll focus on food insecurity uh in uh, northeastern rural ohio so we're just trying to really dive into all this podcasting stuff because it's a lot of fun and i have to say that sounds that sounds highly specific yeah. just want to say yeah. Like, yeah, well so the idea is that we're trying to work with nonprofits to help them tell a story <laughs> right and so this specific first uh season of this larger project is focused in the place that you know we grew up because we have access to um we have access to people to talk to about stuff like that exactly gotcha and gotcha. i don't want to undersell the sandman podcast because i i'm just reading the comics for the first time and we have a theologian and what does sean have a doctorate in comic books at least a master's or two yeah. it's it's uh they're, they're smart cats it's been really cool nice having them like along with me for my first read. Yes. I can confess that my, my only exposure to Neil Gaiman is, um, is through American gods, the novel, which I have read. Uh, And I guess I, I watched the first season of the show when uh, Brian Fuller was still the one running it and then kind of fell off. But, um, yeah. Uh, but, uh, I have, I've never read Sandman and, uh, thus like the show has also kind of been off my radar, especially cause there's just like, I mean, between like house of the dragon and rings of power, I'm like, booked yeah, up right now, but what knee of uh, content right now. So for sure. much content, so much content. Yeah. 
no doubt. But uh, that's cool. I'm really glad to hear that you guys are keeping busy and like expanding your whole your whole thing that you do. Um, uh, I mean, you know, like Lord knows that talking about the same thing, um, you know, forever, especially if this is something you want to do more as like a, you know, less of a hobby, more of a career, you know, just finding things that you can you can stay interested talking about on a microphone for hours a week. Well, there you go. That's pure gold. Sure. Right? Sure. Certainly. And to give other people stuff to listen to as well. You know, our, our podcast is an audio only let's play of a video game. You know, it's people are like, wait, what is it on Twitch? And we're like, nope, nope, it works. Just listen to it. You can jog down the block, listen to us play a video game and almost imagine you're playing it. But it's still specific, you know, and to be able to bring other ideas into a podcast realm for our listeners and potential listeners is a lot of fun. Sure. So I want to bring it back around to Hyrule Podcasters for a minute. The thing that really that kind of kickstarted uh, at least like our 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 whole friendship and the, the reason that we have, you know, occasion to like talk about yeah. Zelda every now and again. Um so you said you're moving on to Link's Awakening DX and your last game was what again? Ocarina, Ocarina. of Time. Okay, cool. So uh, I guess my question is um what what brought you guys to choosing the the DX version of Link's Awakening uh, instead of either the original Game Boy release or the uh, Switch remaster? Well, Which yeah. I will remind everybody, this group unanimously voted as being the best first Zelda yeah. for a Switch owner. It was the Link's Awakening uh, Switch remake? Yeah, definitely, I, and I stand by that. I think that the remake is just fantastic, and I would suggest that most modern gamers go straight to that and skip the DX version. But if you're into retro gaming and if you have access to the DX version I and you want to do it, I say go for it. The reason we're doing it this way is because we're trying to go through the games in release date order. Now we flip-flopped with this and Ocarina because yep. we wanted to play Ocarina with the rest of the world when it came to Switch, which was a lot of fun to do. But we're going back to Link's Awakening right now. And I just feel like it would be doing things out of order, right? To go to a game on the Switch that was designed in 2020 or whatever, um, as opposed to sticking to the classic version of the game. And then, you know, the argument is like, well, then why don't you do the one for Game Boy instead of Game Boy Color? And that's because it's the same game with an extra dungeon and a lot more color. Yeah, we weren't um, going to yep. do both versions. Right. And since both as are... in both Game Boy versions. Correct. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that's very fair. And obviously, like I've played all three versions of Link's Awakening several times each. So I think you're I mean, you're obviously definitely right. The DX version is for all intents and purposes, the same experience mm -hmm. as the Game Boy version. Um, I will say that what uh, what I think is interesting is that it is so much more um, akin, like especially in like in terms of like its color palette and the way that the game feels when you're playing it. It's it's so much. Uh, it's so similar to the Oracle yeah, games. You know, definitely. I've very, never played those because so that'll be very exciting for me. The Oracle games are on the same. I don't know if Game Boy games had an engine per se, but it's on the same. Uh, it's it's on the same code base okay, yeah. as Link's Awakening. Same sprites, yep. um, same items, system. Same. Didn't they basically just like give all of that coding to Capcom? Like, hey, you have like a year to make two Zelda games go, and so yeah. they were like, ah, why not? We're not going to mess with something that works just fine. We're going to leave it. They're beautiful games. I've only. I've only dabbled in them, 
you know, I haven't beaten either of them, but I have them both on my 3DS and I open them sometimes and wander around not knowing where to go. I should probably just start them over. Well, you know, we'll, we'll get to those. <laughs> and part of the experience of the podcast is we have listeners who play along each game with us each season. And to work your way through the technology is is part of the podcast. You know, it's that's another reason that we're sticking to the release date order as opposed to jumping ahead and playing the Switch version. But we will be talking a lot about the differences. And if to the listeners out there, you've played the Switch version and haven't played the Game Boy version, you're still going to be able to follow along the season. It's the same story, the same scenes. Certainly. You're, you'll enjoy listening to the retro music that they simply just kind of re-recorded. And um, it, it's, it's going to hit the same notes, um, literally and figuratively, as the yeah. game that you've played and already undoubtedly love on the switch so getting ready to play this game how does it feel living in a world where nintendo could basically drop their game boy service on the switch at any moment <laughs> oh my God. like if yeah, only, we could, even, no, if only we could be that lucky only we could be that lucky i like i'm just so excited for the game boy service to show up that i didn't even consider how it connects back to the podcast wow we are definitely not here to talk about the Nintendo news cycle as much as we like as much as we could like spend forever doing that because it's 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 an incredibly interesting um topic uh to speculate on. What we are here to do is to talk about another section of the Legend of Zelda, the original, the final section of this game with the brothers Ben and Pat. Um we're going to tackle Ganon together and it's going to be a great time. Before we get into that, I'm going to get some housekeeping out of the way so that we can just dive right into it. If you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly re-examination of The Legend of Zelda, one little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks. Every week we play a new section of a Zelda game and then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are very greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod to get access to our Discord channel, listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and so much more. Uh, of course, one of the benefits that we offer to any patron who is in the Master Sword tier or above is that we read their names every week here on the show. Those legendary individuals are Brian, George, Mike, Dylan, Allie, Lennon, Cole. Olku, Rowan, Josh, Nick, Keep It Going Pod, Dante, Gep, Mary, Brittany, Davey, Derek, Albert, Mark, Andy, Cameron, Tyler, Ben, Daniel, Nick D underscore TV, Travis, Christian, Jonathan, Hyrule Interviews, aka the one and only Maximum Nichols, Garrett, and Drew. We could not make this podcast without your generous support. We appreciate you all so much. You are the most legendary of individuals. But... Without further ado, let's get in to the Sacred Realms Rundown. That is, of course, a six-part analysis that we get into every week where we talk about what we played and the feelings that it made us feel. Today, we are covering The Legend of Zelda Chapter 5, Two More Dungeons, the end of the game. We've 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 made it to the uh, to the end of this bite-sized Zelda experience, uh, and we're going to talk about it. Part one is, as always, the plot recap. It's usually read by Matt. Matt's not here. I didn't write it. I now have a quandary, and I'm hoping that you two can kind of help me uh, help me parse sure. this here. So, should I wait and get Matt to write it, 
and record it and insert it later? Or should I just try to completely off the cuff this plot recap? Well, you were you two were flip flopping at the start of the season, weren't you? You were taking turns writing it. So it's not like it's totally off the wall that you would do it. No, but it is totally off the wall that I would just completely ad lib it. What's your confidence <laughs> level of your ability to ad lib this right now? Oh, geez. I mean, there's actually not even there's really just not a ton of what, stuff. Two paragraphs kinda... worth of material. Yeah. Well, how about this? I, mean, I think that Ben, you're very familiar with this game. I think that be, maybe you could like help from afar. I could also look up a um, a plot. Speaker. So so I've got the, so I've got Phil's hand drawn game guide pulled uh-huh. up, and so I've got the maps. I know where we went. I know what we got, and I know what happened. It's just yeah. is is the is is the craft of the make thing the, there. You take ninety five seconds, wing it, and if it doesn't go well, make Matt record. Make Matt record it. Ah, great idea. Ben. That sounds that's. That sounds, man, you're a genius. Okay, we're mm. going to take a moment of silence while I gather my my performative skills and energy, and then I'm just going to see where this lands. Because, you know, Matt did this a few a few episodes back, and it actually turned out pretty great. And that was for Breath of the Wild, so I guess I have to do okay. Okay. All right, moment of silence starts now. Okay, I think I can do this. I think I'm ready. Without further ado, this will be the plot recap as read off the cuff by me. Having conquered our seventh dungeon, Demon, and possessing a great trove of treasures and most of the completed Triforce of Wisdom, the time has come to find our final dungeon. Of course, we have no exact idea of where to look. What we do have is a nifty red candle that we've received in the previous dungeon. Uh... What more are we to do with such a great boon than to set everything on fire that we can see in front of us? Link, being the pyromaniac that he is, sets across the countryside and casts fireballs in every conceivable direction. Uh, While doing so, takes the opportunity to refill on arrows, bombs, rupees, any supplies that we may have missed. And of course, stocks back up on potion as... One thing is for sure, the difficulty and lethality of the next dungeon that we find ourselves in will be immense, and we we need a resource by which to heal ourselves. Eventually, our pyromaniac reign of terror brings us to a lone bush, which, when burned, reveals a secret staircase underground. This is highly advantageous and... Uh, The odds of this happening have to be astronomical. Regardless, we head down the staircase and find ourselves in the eighth dungeon. We, uh, upon finding the map later in the dungeon, realize that this dungeon is arranged in the shape of a giant lion's head. It is not... It is not as meandering as some of the past dungeons that we've been in, having more direct routes from spot to spot. However, what it does have is a gauntlet of incredibly challenging enemies. In addition to more manhandle of fights and uh, an increase in the amounts of blue wizrobes and dark nuts, we fight more gomas, uh, we unlock more key doors, and most importantly, come across an old man who gives us this cryptic hint. Spectacle Rock is an entrance to death. This hint gives us nothing to go on for the moment in terms of how to overcome this dungeon. What we are able to find, however, are two treasures instead of the one that we're normally accustomed to collecting. Uh, In addition to a magic book, which teaches us a spell to increase the power of our magic rod, we find a magic key, which, to our surprise, is able to unlock any door and never runs out. (laughs) 
thus eliminating our need to continue grinding for dungeon keys. With all of these treasures collected, we head to the final room of the dungeon and discover a Gleok dragon. This one, however, is different than past iterations that we have discovered in that it has four heads and has extra ferocity to match. After fierce combat and many detaching heads, flying fireballs, uh, and fear for our life, we conquer this beast and are able to proceed into the next chamber to claim the final piece of the Triforce. With the Triforce of Wisdom successfully reassembled, the time has come to face Ganon and save Zelda. Where to look, however, we have no clues off the top of our head that could tell us where Ganon's hideout might be until we start thinking about the cryptic hint from the old man in Dungeon 8, who told us, again, that Spectacle Rock is an entrance to death. Keeping this in mind, and knowing that there's only one area of the map that we have yet to traverse, Link heads to the far northwest mountain range, and there discovers two rocks which appear to be arranged as a set of eyes. Using our uh, time-honored tradition of locating secrets by blowing <laughs> entrances in bare rock faces with bombs, we place bombs at the base of both rocks, and one indeed reveals a secret entrance, which, when we enter it, brings us into our final dungeon gauntlet experience, Death Mountain. This dungeon is immense and meandering, with many ladders leading from one area of the dungeon to another. It would be so easy for a person to get lost and to never find their way out. And in addition to this uh, complex layout, uh, there are an even greater concentration of difficult enemies than we've ever met before. In addition to blue dark nuts, blue whiz robes, and uh, many of the other enemies that we faced on our journey, we are faced by two completely new foes in the Patra, which is a winged demon surrounded by smaller versions of itself that must be defeated before the main enemy can be overcome. And then the Lanmola, which are quickly moving paired centipedes, which deal incredible damage uh, when they make direct contact with our body. Overcoming all of these obstacles, we proceed through this dungeon. For a moment, it seems that we may become lost in here and never be able to escape. But then a glimmer of hope emerges when we start to discover items that make our experience in this cavern easier. The first is the red ring, which much like the blue ring that we first discovered, increases our defense again by double. Link being truly tanky is now able to continue exploring the dungeon uh, with that, without quite as much fear to his life as he previously had. Another treasure that we find are arrows that fit our bow perfectly, but are tipped in silver as opposed to the normal arrows that we've had this entire time. What these are for, we can't exactly tell, but we definitely take them and are glad to have access to the extra firepower. Of course, we are here for only one goal, and that is to find Ganon and to rescue Zelda. And after much trial and tribulation, we come to a door that brings us into the very chamber of the evil king. The tiles of the floor in this room are arranged in the form of a skull. And of course, the enemy that we fight here is as dangerous as that uh, terrifying iconography promises. Ganon... Being an evil sorcerer, 
is able to call upon the powers of invisibility and to fire fireballs at us from every area of the room in which he can teleport to. The only thing that we are able to do is to swing our sword wildly and hope that we might be able to connect with this evil foe. While dodging fireballs and trying desperately to hit Ganon even though we can't see him, we are able to land a few lucky blows. After the fourth one, we notice that Ganon seems to be briefly vulnerable and uh, and needs time to recuperate from our fierce onslaught of blows. Unfortunately, he recovers very quickly, but knowing now the way in which we might be able to overcome this most difficult enemy, we proceed to land four more sword blows on the evil king, and during his moment of vulnerability, remember the silver arrows that we found earlier in the dungeon. We knock one into our bow, we pull the string, and we let the arrow fly. It finds its home in Ganon's chest, and he is immediately vanquished. With this evil king disposed of, and the Triforce of Power fallen in his remains, we proceed into the next chamber and reunite with Princess Zelda. Freed from her cap- captivity, she thanks us for freeing the land of Hyrule from the evil clutches of Ganon, and states her gratitude that the Triforce is now safe and free from his evil clutches. It's been a long time since we started our journey learning about the threat of Ganon from Impa, and since we picked up our wooden sword in the first glade in the south of Hyrule. We've come a long way, we've fought many enemies, and we have grown very strong in that time. Now that we have overcome so much, we are able to proudly exit the dungeon side by side with Zelda, safe in the knowledge that the Triforce will not be claimed by the evil king today. This has been the plot recap, clumsily read by me, but I'm going to edit a lot of that, so it's okay. You won't even know, but I'm going to leave this disclaimer in so that there is some record of the fact that, you know, I've just kind of fumbled through that a bit. That's a humble brag is what that actually is, because you just nailed that off the top. Yeah, that was pretty (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I I appreciate the the edification there. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm happy enough with it. I think we'll leave it. Definitely. Good work. All right. Well, this brings us to part two, which is our takes in which we talk about this section of the game and how it made us feel. Uh, Y'all, you are the guests on our show tonight, so I'm going to send it over to you first. Uh, Before I do that, I feel like I really need a a quick rundown from you guys on your crazy uh, day of refresher (laughs) that that you kind of put yourself through in order to do this show, which I... Nobody asked you to do, but you just kind of went and did completely on your own for fun. Um, so get, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> run us okay, through that so real quick. Really, so I'll go first because right. Ben's is much more I- impressive. Um, I started playing the game today, realized I wasn't going to be able to, I'm not my brother. I realized I wasn't going to be able to get through it. So I had some fun with it just to get the feel back. And then I watched a couple run through a couple let's plays of each dungeon to see a couple people do it a couple different ways. Now I did take on the end of this game, um, parts of it in our recording. So I also pulled up some of that audio and I, I also have done this before. So, you know, I did an okay job. 
I would say I get a B minus if I'm giving myself a grade. <laughs> but my brother Ben went all out. Hit him with it, Ben. Yeah, so I um it was just one of those times where I was taking the um the subway. So I live, you know, outside, yeah, I live uh, right near Washington DC, and so I had to take the subway out into Northern Virginia, and so I had a 40-minute ride out there and then I had a 40-minute ride back. Perfect. It was like, well, like I can sit there and just play the switch. Um, and so I made sure to, you know, log into the uh, NES switch online uh, thing while I still had internet and booted up the game and decided, hey, like, let's make this challenging. And so my original goal was to do a no heart container, no upgrades at all uh, in terms of like the sword upgrades or the armor upgrades. Well, when you beat Aquamanius in the first dungeon, you have to pick the heart up the heart container is in your way to get to the Triforce. So without doing like screen wrapping, which I don't think you can do in a dungeon anyway, um, I couldn't get around getting that heart. So then I had one heart. I was like, okay, like, I mean, that that's the way it goes. Uh, and then I got, I got all the way to dungeon six, which in, in my mind is the most difficult dungeon by far in the game. Uh, and I could not beat it. I probably died you know, including kind of rewinds. Uh, I probably died like 12 times. And so um, just because I only had four hearts and the uh, the rays that get shot at you, they I think they either do. Th- I think they do three um, hearts worth of damage if you don't have any armor upgrades. So you can take, you know, one and a half hits essentially and you're dead. <laughs> and so that's when I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go get the white sword. But to get the white sword, you have to have a total of five heart containers. I only had four heart containers. So I went and grabbed one more. So then I then, but then I beat the game from there. So I beat the game with just the white sword and five heart containers. I probably took like two hours and 15 minutes. And I officially died five times, like properly died. And so um, essentially what I would do is if... um I would rewind or use a save state only to not have to walk back as far. So, you know, if you die in lots of places, you kind of end up having to walk through a bunch of stuff that was just kind of annoying. And so I would use it to skip that stuff. Um, But outside of that, like if I properly died against a boss, like I'd be like, all right, like I'd start back at the beginning of the dungeon and walk all the way back through to go beat the boss. So or if I died like in a room in a dungeon, I would start over back at the start of the dungeon and go through it. So So, yeah, that was it. It was really fun. Wow. Cool. I mean, yeah, that sounds like uh, that sounds like torture to me. I know, right? But like, (laughs) it sounds horrible. But also, in fairness, I mean, you've you've at least played this game one more time than I have. But I'm how many times have you played The Legend of Zelda? Uh, I mean, just this in the past 12 months, I would have played it the time for our podcast. I did a we did a speed run bonus Patreon episode where our mom was the second commenter along with commentator along with patrick and it's i like our best it. episode and it's, yeah, it was our, like our, it's yeah. behind a paywall yeah we really need to release that to the public um, <laughs> and then this time so that's just three in 12 months but i'll play this game i mean i can probably get through it you know in about the speed run took me like 57 minutes i think so i can play through it pretty quickly and i love playing it it's probably it might be my favorite legend of zelda game yeah you can just bang it out i mean i yeah. i really like that and i you know i I play a lot of Mega Man. I like to die and get it right the next time and stuff. Like so I I understand how that can be fun. I'm just still that game is just still very difficult for me. Um yeah. especially as you get into the later levels that are just 
again, very challenging. And yep. enemy gauntlet, enemy gauntlet rooms yep. with just six dark nuts. Like, yep. come yep. on, are you kidding me? I walk into every room like, oh my gosh, it takes my utmost concentration. Yeah, I did um, do the I did do the bomb upgrades. Um and oh, I always right. had a red potion with me. So I was drinking potions all the time. And what you get the you get the bomb upgrade for 100 rupees in dungeon 7 is that right 5 and 7 yeah 5 and 7 yeah yep. i got to say i i love how green level dungeon 7 is um, oh yeah for sure and i'm kind of you know nah about the the matching gray in 8 and 9 uh, maybe they're slightly different colors but <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the the limited color palette is definitely fully on display here, and I, I definitely agree with you on that. Um, I mean, yeah, I, so I think I definitely can see where I might get to the point with this game where I'm, I feel somewhat comfortable mm-hmm. with it like that in that way. Um, you know, I've said on the show several times this season that what I'm really excited to be doing here is to be forming like a foundation of knowledge with this yeah. game so that I can like without a safety net – later on just have fun and and without the pressure of having to create content off of it right yeah i feel that and i've (laughs) been kind of doing the same thing you know i picked it up and was like oh i kind of know where to go and i know how to follow a guide at the very least and just like have fun and work my way through this game because before the hyrule podcasters i'd only really beaten it once and that was after graduating college and i just had a week at my aunt's and played it on her switch and i don't really I don't really remember beating it. I was just like drinking Budweiser by myself playing Zelda. It was a blast, but I don't know how much I, I really retained. Um, I will say I just love this game so much. I love that you just have to go light everything on fire to find like, you know, you didn't realize that the rocks look like spectacles. So what are you going to do? Let's say you don't have Nintendo power, so you can't call the hotline, right? It's what the late eighties, early nineties, and you're trying to play this game maybe you get the reference or maybe you just burn the forest down. makes me wonder if Alfred uh, and Christopher Nolan's Batman franchise (laughs) had been hunting Ganon because he said, (laughs) how do you catch the thief? You burn the forest down. And that's how you catch Ganon the thief. I mean, he's not exactly the thief in this game. But but what is what is nice, like in the manual, like the manual that came with it, Mm. um, there's actually this section at the very end on on page 47 where it says Impa recounts Zelda's parting words. And it says Princess Zelda had anticipated the difficulty of finding the entrances to levels seven, eight and nine. And so there are actually clues here that tell you how to find them Mm -hmm. um, and how to find like the seventh, eighth and ninth dungeons. But, you know, it's just it was just such a different time 35 years ago where the expectation of how long you're going to take to to play this game, to get through it to. Yeah, like, of course, you're going to burn every bush because, you know, if you find one staircase behind a bush randomly from burning it, that's going to make you want to burn every single bush because like you're just like, oh, my God, what else might be out there? and that's just that's expiration in 35 years ago um, was so different. And that's what's really exciting. Yeah, totally. And not only exploration of the map in the game, but of your own mind, like it really forces you to use your imagination because of the limited technology. Right. And they're just limited understanding of how to build a game this complex. And, 
So it just puts, it turns on a part of your mind that maybe a modern game doesn't. Um, but these modern games do in other ways because they have room for all the graphics and all the information. and They can be more intentional with their puzzles because they know how to read their audience with decades yeah. of experience. And, and I think, yeah, and I think that that's, I mean, Matt and I have come back to that constantly this season. It's It's been a constant balance of like, we see the beginnings of the Zelda formula here, but like, how were we supposed to know the solution to this puzzle <laughs> or how were we supposed to know the solution to this puzzle or whatever, you yeah. know? And, um, and sometimes the solutions actually like there were hints mm-hmm. as obscure as they might be sometimes. And as much as like translation might occasionally botch them, yeah. um, you know, there are hints for some of these things that we just completely missed. But then other times there there are things where it's just like, yeah, there truly is nothing. You just kind of have to stumble across this. Right. Um, and and then, you know, of course, one thing that we weren't doing that we maybe should have done a bit more of is keep the original game manual right. handy yes. for reference yes. throughout this thing, which is something that we would just never think. Was that do, Bill right? who put us onto that, Ben? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like the AOLP community is all about like read the manual for older yeah. game. <laughs> Always it's part of the game. It's a companion, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. it's your it's your bottom screen and your DS or whatever. Yeah, essentially. Your start menu. Yeah. Yep. And so and, and you know, we we definitely could have probably done just a little bit more of that. Um I still think that we we got a pretty great experience overall with this game and I you know, um definitely as frustrating as it was for us at times, I think we both came away from it feeling very positive. Um of course, we've got so the two dungeons that we're talking about this week um have got two of the most like just indecipherable puzzles <laughs> that to, to try and like gain entry to them. I mean, the, the one, the one to get into dungeon eight where it literally is just like, hope you, hope you burn the right bush, yeah. you know? Yeah. So there is actually, so there is an old man near the sea who tells you, um, which tree to burn to get into that dungeon. But of course you would have had to have found that old man. Um, but the yeah, and this is where again, like the manual, it tells you like, hey, you're gonna have to burn a tree to find the hidden entrance, and there's an old man who will tell you where it is. Go find the old man near the sea. But again, like that's where it's like, you know, trying to play it in a modern lens can be very difficult if you're not ready to right. constantly refer to uh, you know, to the manual because I mean, manuals nowadays are like a front and a back, and it just has some you know like. Uh, ratings and like, hey, there might be some, you know, seizure inducing flashing screens and like, no yeah, yeah, totally, them. totally. They're much less informative. They're not, they're not a part of the game. It is yeah. silly that Switch, and I will only say this once today, but silly that Switch didn't just upload these manuals to these old games. Yeah, that was very silly. Well, and also uh, incredibly silly that there's no easy way outside of dying to save your game in here like <laughs> i didn't even think because yeah. because because there was a whole there was a whole thing like i was trying to figure out how like i know i can use save sure. states but like i want to do this the original way so how what combination of buttons do i have to push and i googled this for like 30 minutes and the only thing i could come up with was like you have to push this specific combination of buttons on your second, second control. nes controller right. i'm like i'm not doing that mm. like right I how that works. so sa- save states it yeah, was I how that works with like the second joy con i wonder if that would I wonder if it would pull up the save screen. That'd be interesting. You know, that's a good question of second controllers. I read this on uh, Zelda fandom 
the about the pole's voice because I was like, where did that name come from? So, a ghost with big ears and a weak point. He hates loud noise. The game's manual, and stop me if you've already said this. This. Oh season. yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They talked about this on that. Oh, episode. did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you could talk. Yeah, we had we had a whole, we had a whole thing about oh, this. Okay, okay. <laughs> my bad, my bad. I just learned this today, and that's just outrageous. I want a microphone on my second controller. I know that'd be so cool, wouldn't Come it? Come on, where's my microphone? <laughs> right. Anywho, yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a weird thing that I, you know, I wish that 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 one like more toyetic element of the Famicom in uh, in right. Japan would have maybe made right. it over here. But I mean, it anyway, did eventually on a, on the GameCube, right? We got a microphone for Mario Party and and uh, some other games on GameCube. It just mm. was like three systems later or whatever. Yeah. Right, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, kind of this is so interesting to me, this whole section of the game, because it's usually much easier to talk about and break down the last dungeon and then the the Ganon's Tower or whatever it is mm. within that lens of like, man, these have got to be the pinnacle of like difficulty in this game mm. as we kind of lead into the end game. And then we have this huge, big like. Um, you know, this monumental cinematic moment uh, where we kind of like we storm Ganon's castle and then we fight Ganon and then we have this whole thing where we save the world and we get all the fun cutscenes, right? And um, and it's so funny because we definitely do get an increase in difficulty with Dungeon 8 and Dungeon 9. Uh, but it, it, I feel like this game ends kind of unceremoniously, right? I mean, it is very abrupt. Like you get, you make it to Ganon's chamber and you defeat him after an admittedly very difficult dungeon. Mm, uh, sure. But, the, but then, but then, Hey, Ganon's dead. Uh, his like entrails are in a pile. Yes, on the floor, just I a think. little pile. I, I think Ben said, quote, <laughs> a little pile of poop on the floor. <laughs> I think that's how our, that's how our mid season point ends. On our first season. Hey, did you, Lyndon, did you have trouble beating Ganon? Uh, not really. I like, it was fine. I, I, his attacks were actually very easy for me to dodge. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I mean, obviously it took a little bit longer than I would have liked just because it's, it's truly random whether you're, you're hitting him or not. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I feel like this is probably the easiest version of Ganon that I've ever fought and beat. Mm. What do you think about that, Ben? Yeah, I mean, I think by the time, if you do all the upgrades, right? If you have the red ring and you have the magic sword, uh, it's going to be very difficult for you to lose against Ganon at this point. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that is problematic in the as a storytelling device. I think, you know, you've done the hero's journey, you've collected all the things, you have you have you have been leveled up appropriately. And so I think it makes sense that while, you know, there's some trickery, you know, kind of going on with the fight with him being invisible and then you have to realize that you use the silver arrows uh, against him. Um I think that beyond that piece of it, I I do think that the um, the ease of the fight, you know, is is acceptable. Acceptable. Yeah, I mean so I'm I'm more of I'm more into these games for the battling, you know, the combat, and I, I do love the puzzle solving as well. And collecting is fun, but we're starting to get more into RPG territory with collecting, and that's just not it doesn't hold my interest as much. Uh, but I, I do love the way that Zelda games do, does that, and it seems like you defeat Ganon, 
by collecting all the stuff, not by fighting him in an epic cinematic battle. Um, so that's kind of cool. But I think you're right, Lyndon. The payoff is internal. You know, you're like, I did it. There's not as much like huge flashing, you know, lights and this enormous celebration at the end of the, sure. the game. And I think we're we're like we're we're one step below. Thank you, Mario. You saved my life and the life of all my friends. Here's a kiss on the cheek and a right, cake. Right, right. Although I do like that. There's no kiss on the cheek. You know, we don't need we don't need the, we don't <laughs> right. need those tropes. But yeah, uh, you, you get the you know you get the extra quest. Like that's that's a really cool payoff. Yeah. That's really so cool. I do want to talk more about second quest here in just a just a bit. Um, it's tough to talk about how we feel about this section of the game without talking directly about the dungeons because yeah. as has kind of become the case the you know the further that we get into this game um the dungeons really are what you're doing and the time spent in the overworld mm-hmm. is is pretty minimal right yeah. so i guess where where we'll leave part 2 before we move on into the dungeon map is just a quick question to you guys which is um I don't know the if so. I guess uh, the first time I guess this is tough because y'all y'all played this Correct. years and years yeah, ago, yeah, right? It's tough. Okay. Um, ask the question. Yeah, ask it. Yeah, we're good guests. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, I, I, I guess what I'm kind of wondering is, um, was this was this a big moment for you? Kind of getting to the end of of this game and conquering it for the first time and maybe not even realizing that it was setting a precedent of like, you know, a foundation for your love of an entire series, but just like, I don't know. I think it's monumental to have, to have beaten this first thing, right? Mm, like certainly in, in, in its original form. I mean, certainly. Patrick, why don't you go? I mean, I, I would say our, our season of the Hyrule podcasters was really your first time experiencing yeah. it fully. Yeah. Again, like I, I played it at my aunt's, but I, you know, it, that was a while ago. I was having a lot of fun. I don't even know if I finished the whole thing, but I will say, what is his name? Gliok, the the boss in Dungeon Eight. That's yeah. That's a tough boss. Uh, to me, I mean, clearly more, clearly more difficult than Level Seven's dragon. I don't know what that whack enemy's name is. Yeah, it came back. But you know, not not a difficult one. And to conquer that, to find all the stuff, and then you the, – the coolest thing to me was that we got finally some new music. and It's the best music. That – yeah. I mean it's incredible. It really sets the stage for the fact that this is the final moment. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a huge payoff for me to have, for the first time, a brand new song. And it really drove me through the dungeon. It wasn't easy for me to talk to the people, get the hints, find the spot, or cave to using a walkthrough, which I don't like to do when I want to feel like I'm conquering something. Um, beating Ganon was like, oh, okay, the game's over. Uh, good job, us. It's a little sudden. But I do think that the last two dungeons are difficult and hard enough to find in general that I felt a sizable amount of accomplishment after beating it. 
Yeah, and I'm in the same boat. I mean, that's why the last two times I've played it, I've done it in different ways. Once as a speed run, and then this last time with, you know, handicapping myself substantially. Um, and I felt very accomplished getting through it in, you know, both of those new novel ways. And I think that is one of the, like, that's one of the things that's really exciting about a game like this is that you can approach it from from multiple ways. And I think that's what it probably shares the most with Breath of the Wild is, you know, you have a lot of variability with how you want to choose to beat the game. And mm-hmm. I think that that makes it very exciting and eas- easily replayable without getting to the second quest even. Mm-hmm. You know, speaking of which, uh, off to the side, do can you get into Dungeon 8 early and get that uh, key? Or is that level 7 that you get the key? Yeah, so you get the magical key in eight, and yeah. yeah, I mean, you need you need three keys to get to it, and you have to be able to beat some pretty tough rooms with uh, a lot of blue dark nuts. But yeah, you can absolutely get it. That's very cool. Then you don't have. So I want to I want to I want to table that for one second. I do want to table that for one second because that's a that's a good bit of trivia as we get into our conversation about the dungeons more specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will just say, in general. Where I landed with this ending section of the game was that um, I think it felt like there was a very, um, you know, I I think there was a very steep climb in difficulty from dungeons like four to five, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then from five until here, there was like a much more gradual, like it felt like each one was more difficult than the one before it, but um, not not nearly as steep of a climb mm-hmm. as that original f- from four to five. And I think that that is true here as well. I felt legitimately challenged by it. Um, it was it was very difficult. Um, I think that I am missing a little bit of the pomp and circumstance uh, from the end of this mm-hmm. game is what I would like to have had, you know, especially as, as, you know, A Link to the Past even gives you a little bit more than this. And that's an unfair judgment to level against this game because it is so prototypical. It's the first of its kind. Yeah. And um, and I definitely don't knock the game for not having it. I will just say that my my own emotional investment in the ending of it is not quite as substantial just because it doesn't have that. But, you know, that's that. Like I said, that's a very unfair thing to kind of put on it. But I don't know. Um, I don't know. I but, think that, you know, I think that your emotions are valid. I think that they learned from this game. Give these people a huge payoff. They just work their butts off to get to this final boss. Give them a good fight and give them a glorious, you know, exciting ending. You know, I think that it's, I think that it's valid. And I don't, I don't really remember the end of the second Zelda, but it didn't seem like super exciting either. They, they figured it out by a link to the past. And, you know, that's probably why people are like, give me, give me more. I want, I want a congratulation, which is fair. Definitely. Definitely. I think overall, my big sense of pride coming out of this uh, section of the game was that for the longest time, I and Matt, Matt and I both had really put off playing this mm-hmm. one. Me and me and my personal life as a Zelda player, because I didn't feel like it had anything extra to bring mm-hmm. to the table, um, especially versus all the more modern ones that I had played. Um Link to the past onward. And, uh, you know, Matt, because of, you know, he he enjoys the top-down style of Zelda just a bit less than yeah. I do. Um, but I think for the purposes of the podcast, we were both very apprehensive because we felt like this was going to be all difficulty, no substance, right. um, just something that that we had to get through because that was the premise of the show was to play them all. And what I came away with was definitely a big sense of pride in having gotten to the end of this game and beaten it and discovered that I found a lot more in it 
than I had assumed I was going Good. to. Good. That makes me happy. Yeah, I know that we slightly discussed your apprehensions around playing this game, but you were optimistic, just not excited, I think is fair to say. And I'm glad yes. that you I'm glad that you've experienced it and that you're cutting them some slack for not giving you fireworks at the end. Um, and <laughs> that you enjoyed playing it. I'm I'm glad. I, uh, I, I am intrigued um, and excited to, at some point in the future, pick up and at least play the second Me quest. So I, guess, so I guess that's the biggest kind of compliment that I can give this whole mm-hmm. thing is I'm done with it now and I'm looking forward to, you know, messing around with it more in the future. Yeah, so, that's a good go. compliment. Yep. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into part three, which is the dungeon map where we talk about this week's dungeons from mechanics to music and more. Talk about how he felt about them. Of course, the two dungeons we're talking about this week are Dungeon 8, which is Lion, and Dungeon 9, which is Death Mountain. Uh, So let's go ahead and pick up the discussion on Dungeon 8, kind of where you were going with it, which is that we've we've got two items here. We've Mm -hmm. got the magic book, arguably not you know, exciting at all. And, <laughs> Wasn't it like and, and, originally the a Bible didn't have like a cross on it or something and then they took it out? I know that they removed a lot of Christian insignia and symbology from these games when they brought it to America. Well, and then you would think they would have learned their lesson from that, but then they went and released Ocarina of Time with like a whole ton of Islamic symbology. <laughs> yeah, so definitely. Like, whoops. You know, I mean, Rut row. yeah. It's uh, what are you gonna do? They only there's only so many stories to tell and so many symbols you can draw. Sure, yeah, um, yeah. So I think what I want to touch on real quick is the interesting ways in which people kind of choose to maybe not speed run this mm-hmm. game because speed running implies like glitching and and non gameplay ways. I think that. Can I touch on that? I feel like sure. there are different ways to speed run, and one is zero glitches. Um, what do you think, Ben? Do you think speed running implies using glitches and shortcuts? I think that's what most people. I think that's that's what most people probably think. I think that's why okay. there's so many different categories of speed running. Where cool. you know, there's hundred percent, there's hundred percent no glitch. You know what I mean? And even in no glitch, there's usually like a few mm. things you can do, like screen wrapping and things like that. Like, is okay. that a glitch? Is it not a glitch? Like. I guess so, yeah. so. So if you're saying 100%, the assumption is that they're using at least a maybe glitch. Yeah, I mean, that, that's why they all have pretty called out categories. If you look okay. at like, like speedrunners.net yeah. or whatever it is. Cool, cool, cool. Thank you. To me, there's a category right under that, though, of like, if the game has no barriers between you and the later dungeons, um, as this game does. I mean, y'all were saying before... It is obviously as soon the second you get the blue candle, yeah, it is possible to get into this dungeon, yeah. and um, and as long as you have and have found three keys, then you're able to get the magic key, assuming that you're able to defeat the enemies that stand between you and it. Yeah. And if you get that magic key, then you all of a sudden are in this position where you never have to worry about a key again in the entire right. game. Did you find and yourself so t- worrying about keys a lot? No, okay. never. Okay, yeah. No, no, not a single time, and I never bought one yeah, either. Okay, yeah, that's that's pretty. Okay, that's what I figured. Yeah, I'm yeah. also. I just kind of explore and play every level of a dungeon. I'm not trying to like skip through it, but you know, in my mind, I just love. I like. I like doing things out of order. It's something that I love about early games. It's something that I love about Super Metroid, and 
it would probably just be really fun for me to go get this key early and see how it changes the way that I played the game. Yeah. Yeah, and I and that's the kind of thing that I'm looking forward to maybe in my next playthrough of this mm-hmm. game is what interesting like you know, knowing where everything is and what you get in each dungeon, just trying to maybe go do it out of order just for funsies, you yeah. know? Um, and so I, I do think it's really interesting. I think from that perspective, this is this is one of the coolest things in the game that you can do is go and get this magic key and then never have to worry about them right. again. Um, so I don't know. Like, have either of you ever played this game that way where this is the first thing you went and no. did? No. No. No, I'm so gonna go do it right now. I'm just yeah, the the <laughs> biggest thing I do is like when I did the speed run, I do what's called the Great Gathering, which is essentially you do this like counterclockwise loop on the eastern half of the map, and the idea is like once you get to, once you do that whole loop and get to level one, I think you have like seven heart containers. You'll have two hundred plus rupees. You'll have a magic shield, the blue candle. You'll have bombs. You'll have the white sword, um, and so that's a really easy way to kind of like kickstart a like fast run is to show up in dungeon one and already have like you're pretty tanked out already. Yeah, definitely. Um, and and I I know that Matt and I both kind of like stumbled into that version of the game. Right, yeah. <laughs> You know, and and so I, you know, maybe maybe one day I'll go back and give that a shot Um, for Dungeon 8. uh, Where are you guys at with this one? Because to me, what was kind of happening here was very difficult from a combat perspective, but not necessarily so much from a layout perspective. Mm -hmm. I don't think that this one was quite as challenging um, from like a. Yeah, just from being able to find your way around it as some of the past ones have been. Sure, I feel that I think that the layout's a little more straightforward they just like throw so many enemies at you and that that's yeah. like this just is just a brutal dungeon in that way and maybe they decided to kind of make it a little easier layout cuz i didn't even really get lost and i always get lost yeah what i do mean you think they i mean you dead end pretty quickly so it, it looks like you can't go any more than like two rooms before mm-hmm. you hit a dead end if it's not on the the main path until you get to the you know are you going to get like you know, are you going to go up and get the magic key, which is technically like an optional item? Sure. Um, so, yeah. And then as far as the combat goes, and this is one of those things where like knowing this changes everything, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the dark nuts, um, you know, Lyndon, I remember when I was listening earlier this season and you and Matt were kind of talking about like their erratic movement behavior. And most of that comes down to how they're programmed to move. And so, um, and if you already know this, you can stop me. But essentially, when Link is in a room, there is a Link and there is an anti-Link that you can't see. An anti-Link is is in a mirrored position no matter where you are in the room. And what happens is every time the Dark Nuts uh, uh, move, they either move towards anti-Link or towards you which is why their walking behavior is just so erratic compared to everything else. Cause they're the only enemy that is attracted to both anti-link and link. And huh. so what Isn't that you crazy? Can, yeah. And what you can do to make your life a lot easier because they kind of do those like sharp pivots and turns. And this also works for Wizrobes, is that you never want to be on a tile. You always want to be on the intersections of tiles um, because that's how you can kind of uh, put yourself in the best position when you're fighting Wizrobes and Dark Nuts. Uh, so that way you can hit them, but they can't hit hurt you. 
Be in the intersection of the tile. Explain that to me. Intersection. Like where two tiles, you can either be on a tile or you can be on the intersection of two tiles. And you always want to be on the intersection of tiles. You don't want to be on tiles. Because then anti-link is also on an intersection? Uh, Yeah. And it's just the way that the dark nuts move. They can only move on tiles. They can't move on intersections of tiles. Uh, So you're a half step away from them, which means you only have to move a half step away to avoid them versus a full step away to avoid them. Gotcha. All right. So they're attracted to anti-link and, and if you stand on the intersection of tiles, then you can get away from them easier. You can get to them easier. Right. You can hit them, but they can't hit, hit you. Um, they can still turn into you, but just it's, um, sure. yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. It's very fascinating. Yeah. I- that's crazy. And like, it's definitely good to know that. Um, it's the sort of thing that like, you know, we, Matt and I didn't do too much mechanical uh, digging of uh, like digging into mechanical trivia mm-hmm. into this game before we played it. Um, and of course, in the intervening 35 years since it's come out, a lot of people have figured out interesting things like this. And so, you know, that's what I'm talking about where I'm like, I'm I'm continuing to accumulate that bank of knowledge, yeah, yeah, right? Totally. <laughs> for for future playthroughs um so that's all good to know yeah i think definitely uh, you know the combat was definitely um the biggest part of this dungeon mm-hmm, for me right. uh lots lots of blue dark nuts um you know lots of mini I, bosses I think that, yeah you know manhandla even though even though they are typically pretty easy they can be a drain mm-hmm. on hearts mm-hmm. um especially if you don't land that perfect bomb yeah, right definitely uh, but it's it's really mostly the darkness. Yeah, I yeah, mean, like is, I still yeah, yeah, yeah. I still think that's the most difficult enemy in the entire in the entire Certainly. game. Um, question for the you: Blue Wizards are a close runner up. But yeah. question for you on the darkness: Did you did you use a lot of bombs when you were in those rooms, or did you just try and use the sword to kill them? Just the sword, oh, okay. and I, I probably could have been a bit more um, free with my bombs. But what I was really trying to do in the dungeons was hang on to them so that I could like blow walls open because that's a thing that you're just doing constantly. Yeah, definitely. And getting that bomb upgrade again, you know, it just makes dun- uh, the dungeon easier to navigate because you can kind of spare bombs once you have that, once you have those upgrades, you know. Yeah. And in, in, in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have been quite so conservative with my bombs mm-hmm. just because I was kind of existing in this world where Matt and I had this rule where it's like, all right, look, if we run out of bombs, then we'll we'll hit the rewind and we'll go back because a lot of it is like trial and error of like, is there a bomb wall here? Is there not yeah. a bomb wall here? And you can pretty quickly blow through most of them. Yeah. Doing that. And then you just have to leave and go get bombs. And, you know, that's just a waste of, of time when you're an adult with a lot of other stuff to do. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I mean, absolutely. It's like it's, you know, I'm, I'm definitely willing to extend my time playing this game if I feel like I deserve it. But like bomb RNG is one of those things where I'm not willing to lose an hour to it so you know uh yeah that's kind of where i was at with that but um what i really want to get on to is uh our discussion about dungeon nine death mountain because because this one is really i mean of course i know we usually mention the boss um before we move on from a dungeon i guess i'll do that real quick it's another freaking gliok you know i mean like like what yeah i mean what what else is there to say it's got an extra head it does have an extra head i mean it got me it got me. I didn't I didn't get through this boss as smoothly as I'd wanted to, but still it's boring, you know, it's nothing new. We've been here before. 
Yeah. So let's go ahead and move on to Dungeon Mm -hmm. 9. Unless anyone has anything to say about the magic book that ostensibly upgrades the offensive capability of your magic wand, but like, do you still ever use it? Probably not. not. Very helpful if you only have five hearts, I will say. Very Mm, helpful. Really? Sure, because it's a long-range weapon, which means you can just not be near things and hit them. Hmm. But how many things does it do damage to? I was finding that a lot of stuff was immune to uh, it. Like likes in particular. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, it's good against the like likes. Yes, which is very nice. And I guess there is something nice about having an offensive uh, weapon that you can use to attack things, but also illuminates rooms. You don't have to get the candle out and then yeah. swap to something else. I can see where they're where that, that would be handy. That weapon's so offensive that it's canceled. <laughs> and, and also. <laughs> It also, very importantly, doesn't use rupees. And when you're buying red potions mm. every half dungeon, it racks up very quickly. And that that is fair, too. But Which, again, I guess, are all choices. choices right, exactly. Sure, yeah, sure. Sad, 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 sad to say that cancel culture came for the, uh, for the improved. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. R.I.P. R.I.P. Magic oh, Wand. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, okay, so we get into Death Mountain. Of course, let's talk about the uh, treasures that we get here. One is the Red Ring, which a base increase to your defense is never off off the table for mm-hmm. me. Like, that's Absolutely. that's one of the most useful in, uh, items Bring that you can get on. in any Zelda yeah. game. Um, but then there's the Silver Arrows, which, of course, we all know are instrumental to defeating Ganon. But do they do a base increase in damage to regular enemies? I didn't use them in any capacity that would have garnered that information for me, I don't think. Because I just Hmm. use them against... Because I usually get them, and then like I'm at Ganon within three minutes, so... Right. Yeah, you just kind of use them immediately on Ganon. That's a a good question. Um, I don't think I can Google that fast enough. Even Phil's guide just says, Silver Arrows, essential to defeating Ganon. Like, okay, cool. Right, right. I don't believe that they have any increased attack power um, versus your normal arrows. So for the most part, let's put the silver arrow aside until we get to Ganon. What we have here is the red ring, which basically aids us in our survivability in this dungeon. And that's essential because this dungeon is dense. It's twice the size of any other dungeon in the game. It's huge. Uh, And it's it's labyrinthine. I mean, um, it's very easy to get lost in here. What does it have, like 50 plus rooms? It's something like that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the grid I'm looking at has A through H, and then it's it's got columns A through H and then rows 1 through 8. So, yeah, yeah it's it's pretty substantial. Um, I don't know. Tell me, especially, you know, yeah. Ooh, good, good immediate <laughs> math there. Um, so one of you has played this game more recently for the first time all the way through. The other has played it many times. Um, I guess each of you kind of give me your perspective on this dungeon and, and, and where you're at with for it. For me, I'll go first because Ben has a lot more expertise. For me, it's a total headache and, and a maze. I, um, I like to just run through dungeons, killing enemies and finding my way through happenstance. And you really have to pay attention to what you're doing and try and use your short-term memory. Um, it's it's a difficult one. In fact, I would probably get ex- I've gotten extremely frustrated, like if I was doing this by myself with no help. Yeah, I mean, I think this this dungeon in particular is the definition of needing to do your own hand-drawn map. Yeah, 
on a grid, which is what the manual tells you to do. (laughs) Um, And what I can tell you, like, you know, our mom and our aunt Becky would have hand drawn maps like for this dungeon. And they probably would have taken them, you know, four hours to get through every single room and clear everything out and write their notes and everything. Um, And so, you know, I think if you're if you're thinking of the game that way in that, oh, right, this is like part of the video game experience is drawing your own map and doing that kind of stuff, then I think it achieves its goal. If you're, again, looking at it in a modern lens, I think the fact that there are bombable walls everywhere, that there are staircases that go every which way, um, that um, you have to use a secret room with a bomb in it to get to Ganon, uh, I think would be exceptionally uh, painful for most modern gamers if they if they weren't willing to like look if they weren't looking at a guide or they weren't making their own map. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I think that's one of the things that I kind of came away now that I'm done with all the dungeons in this game is that. I do sort of wish that the dungeon map for each one of these was accessible just a little bit earlier in each one, Um, especially just because it really doesn't. It's not like it gives you that much information. You just kind of understand the base layout of the dungeon. Um, And it's not even necessarily telling you which rooms that you've been in and which ones you haven't been in. So. So, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that this is definitely one where even if you were to get the dungeon map in the first room, it would still give you quite a lot of challenge. Yeah, definitely. I definitely wouldn't help me very much. My sense of direction isn't great. And the smaller dungeons in this game are very welcome. You know, I I like I like the smaller dungeons. This one's this one's a pain. Which I which I also appreciate. You know, I'm not I'm not hating. Yeah, I, I mean, like you have to I go like through you have to go through six underground labyrinths that doesn't include getting the um red ring or the silver arrows to complete the dungeon right and that's that's pretty tough like six six changes of location like that we can call them like teleporting for short like six teleportations is very difficult to keep in your head the shape is really cool the shape's very cool the shape is definitely very cool it's so funny because i feel like this is you know a lot of zelda games have a lot of moving throughout the dungeon via staircases Mm -hmm. right uh, Link's Awakening, for instance, a lot of dungeons yep. kind of rely on that mechanic. That was good. I love that. Um, but th- but what what makes this one so difficult is the fact that it is literally basically just a square. Mm-hmm. It is a yeah. it is like an eight by ten square mm-hmm. rectangle, I guess, and it is just it's chunky, mm-hmm. and there's really no. Um, I mean, it's a rat's nest basically yeah. of rooms. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I actually, I sort of admire it just a little bit from that standpoint. Yeah, like, it's really cool. I, and it, you know, and it looks like a skull, and that's really badass. I I can get down with that. You know, I learned that the skull shaped hideouts in Breath of the Wild are inspired by this level's layout. Oh, that's that's neat. Zeldafandom.com taught me that. I kind of wish that when we come back to top-down Zelda games again in the future, whenever Nintendo chooses to make another one, I wish that they would maybe come back around to, not for every dungeon, but just for like one or two. It's just like super dense. Mm-hmm. The, the, the map 
layout of the dungeon doesn't really help yeah. you all that much. Very complicated like this because I, th- I think with some of the more modern trappings of top-down Zelda, like some of the things you've got to work with in like A Link Between Worlds and stuff mm-hmm. like that, I think it would be a little bit less of a pain in the ass to deal with this. Yeah. Especially, especially if you had the ability to like mark right, on your exactly. map, which a lot of newer Zelda now games do. Now that you do. can have so like a, an expansive start screen and you can mark up your map, it would be really fun to navigate a big rat's nest, as you put it, with a bunch of different stairwells and stuff to see where you've gone. It's it's really tough. Like Ben was saying, you know, getting through the whole thing, making your own map at home, that's going to take a few hours. Like that's that's a whole evening and some yep. probably. But, you know, four hours of fun. Like, you know, you don't get the fireworks at the end, but you get through this thing, which is which is very impressive to be able to do that. Certainly. And I would yeah, love I absolutely agree. to loop back around to the music, which I brought up a little prematurely. Ben, you said it was your favorite. You like this one the most? Oh, yeah. Every time I play Smash Bros, I will set this music as the music to play. Oh, it's and it's done so well in Smash yeah, Bros. it really is. There's another version of this in Four Swords that's really dope. Hmm. Um, it's like, it almost sounds offbeat. There's this like, this is like constant drum beat. And you expect it to land in a different spot. It's really cool. And then it comes in with these like synthesized vocals, like something out of Metroid. It's a really Metroid sounding reimagining overall. Uh, you can find you can find that on YouTube. I highly recommend listening to that. Yeah, and I definitely want to. If nothing else, I appreciate having an extra soundtrack to like slip into the audio mix on this episode. Mm, yeah, <laughs> right? Definitely, definitely. It's so good. And it's so it's so dark. You know, it takes it even further into the darkness. Definitely. I'll definitely be looking up uh some remixes of this one uh just because you suggested it to me. I I, I appreciate nice. those very yeah, much. Yeah. So so we've kind of so yeah we've talked about this dungeon obviously it's confusing tons of enemies a few new ones um i feel like the new ones even though they're interesting and they kind of vary up the encounters a little bit they're still not any harder than blue wizards blue uh darknuts what we do what we do have a lot of in this dungeon is rooms where you've got blue wizards blue darknuts and tons of bubbles Bubbles. just floating Uh, around ben hates the bubbles that's ben's least favorite enemy i think oh they're the worst <laughs> that, that, they're, they're the, the worst that's where the wand comes in handy is with the bubbles ah does it hurt them no no no. i just mean to shoot other things to have an offensive weapon <laughs> gotcha yeah. gotcha because the because you can still use your wand even if the bubbles right. have kept you from using right. your sword or your bow and arrow yeah exactly gotcha okay that makes total sense i i just think that like i don't know i don't have a problem with the fact that being hit by a bubble can incapacitate you temporarily i think that if that was all they did then it would be fine but i hate and i'm so glad that bubbles in later zelda games don't do this i hate that they just free roam this area yeah um because in like starting in at least like links to the past i think uh what really happens is they kind of what they'll do is they'll hug borders of like rooms or blocks totally way more of that going on in the later games yeah. And I think in this game, kind of what happens is you've got you've got three bubbles in a room and they could be anywhere and you've got four blue whiz robes and they could yeah. be anywhere. And, <laughs> and then you've got like four blue dark nuts and they're also uh, moseying around. I really so. have to be sharp to be able to, you know, keep six dark nuts in a bubble or two all in my head. Otherwise, I'm just going in and knowing I'm going to lose a lot of hearts. 
Um, what I really want to know about is where you are at specifically with Ganon. I mean, this is the final boss mm-hmm. of the game, yeah. right? And I feel like if you, especially if you know what you're doing, this version of Ganon is kind of a pushover. Yeah, it's definitely not the challenge that you find in the later games. And as we said before, the dungeon seems to be the, the final challenge of the game. But I will say it's scary. Um, it's disorienting. And if you haven't gotten the hints on the fact that you need the arrows, then it's possible that you're going to try to hit them with everything that you have and just keep dying over and over again. Again, you know, I try really hard to keep it in the context of this is your first time playing it. It's whatever year the game came out when I record Hyrule podcasters. And so I try to think of it in that context. When Ganon first shows up, first of all, I love the teal. Is that teal? I'm a little colorblind with my greens and blues. Would you call them teal? Yep. Nope. It's, it's, yep. It's I teal. I love the teal pig, you know, demon with the red gowns. I think that, like yep. the red armor. I think that that just looks extremely intimidating, super flashy, super tough. And then the fact that he immediately disappears, like what do you even do with that if you're not prepared to go into that fight, right? And yeah. again, you know, this is an early game. I, I'm sure that there are other invisible enemies in video games before this, but that's still a trick that they can pull out at this point in time that is going to completely disorient the player. And if you miss the hints about the arrows, if you if you just didn't happen to stumble upon them in the first place, you're going in there and you're getting your butt whooped a few times and then maybe backtracking to figure out if you missed an item or something. I know that I just kind of stumbled into Ganon in Breath of the Wild and was like, whoops, and got my butt kicked. I feel like that probably happened to people in this game as well. Yeah. Yeah, and I like so my biggest thing was coming into this fight and seeing the design on the floor, yeah. like the shape of a skull yeah. and then and then like the black areas around it. And of course, like I'm trained by my time with Link's Awakening to feel like I can't walk off into the black. Yeah, you definitely. know. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And it's so stupid because that that's not something that's happened in this game. Um what has happened is that without the ladder, you can't just like free mosey into areas that look like right, that, you right. know. Mm-hmm. But I definitely spent my front half of this fight sticking to the gray tiles uh-huh. because I just like, I, I don't know. That's like so ingrained yeah. in me as a top down Zelda that player, makes sense. you know, that definitely makes sense. And maybe, maybe it was, you know, maybe it was on purpose. Maybe it's supposed to freak you out. Half of the, you know, half of a warrior's armor that the most outward showing part of the armor is to intimidate. And the setting is also a part of that. Yeah, absolutely. So I think where I'm at with Ganon in this game is that it is a fun boss fight. What I really wish had happened here is that there had been some kind of like phasing system to this yes. fight. Like like Ganon has a one phase and then his second phase and then at the end of phase two, you can you can kill him. Um, and again, you know, old old ass game is old. And uh, and that's fine. Um, I just wish that it had gone on a little bit longer where I kind of came down with this fight is that it really falls into the convention of boss fights throughout the rest of this entire game, which is that they just are not hard. Yeah. The dungeons are hard. Yeah. Um, the exploration is hard. The puzzle solving 
can be difficult. The bosses are not hard. Like two, two, uh, like one, 100%, you know, every single one I would say failed to challenge me in any meaningful way. Yeah. I hear that. What do you think about that, Ben? Yeah. I mean, I, I think if you're, if you're playing the game, uh, as it's meant to be played and you're picking up all of the heart containers and the upgrades, um, I think the, the biggest, I think my biggest caveat there would be, uh, dungeon six, which is the one that introduces the whiz robes. And if you don't have 12 heart containers and are able to get the magical sword, um, the gauntlet to get through that dungeon to the final boss can have you in a pretty weak state. You also might not quite have enough money to have bought the uh, blue ring. And so Mm. I think if you haven't upgraded to the magical sword and have the blue ring, uh, I think dungeon six is a very steep uh, and difficult um, dungeon. And then when you get to the three headed uh, Gilak uh, uh, at the end, I think that can cause uh, a lot of problems for players because it is a very long haul to get all the way there. Yeah, but still that's the dungeon making the boss hard and not the boss being hard. Yeah. No, that's general. Fair. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I appreciate that input. I, I feel like it just wasn't built with difficult bosses for some reason. They hmm. they just didn't do it. They could have just added like five bubbles to every boss fight and it would have been harder. <laughs> or at least more or at least more health to each boss. I yes. mean yes. you know. A, a lot of these with like sword beams and whatnot mm. were you know two hit KO'd yeah. or whatever. But, but that's pretty standard. It is what it is. Game, we right? I mean even moving forward, yeah. this isn't like Shadow of the Colossus. It's not Dark Souls. Like, you know, they, you yeah. know, for the most part, the the dungeon and the puzzling and the difficult, you know, enemy mobs and the boss are all, they're all part of, they're all part of it, right? They're not standard right. entities. I would, to, yeah. like, in a, to say it in a kind way, clearly the developers were focusing on the challenges being the dungeons and the exploration and the collecting. And that, extremely difficult boss fights was simply not their priority when designing this game. Hmm. Yeah. I think that that's very fair to say. And I'm glad that as uh, these games kind of went further into the series, a bit more of a balance was able to be struck there. Um, I think, I think there is something to be said for the fact that if you're going to spend most of your time exploring a dungeon, then that should probably be the most difficult thing that you're doing, because I don't think anyone would say that the combat is the main thing about the legend of Mm -hmm. Zelda. So I guess when you, when you look at it that way, it makes a certain amount of sense. But I, I do think there is a halfway point between this and, a, you know, a Dark Souls kind of experience sure. and later Zelda games did manage to find it. Do either of you have anything else that you want to say about Death Mountain before we move on to our next uh, area of the podcast? I'm all good. Thanks. I love the name Death Mountain. (laughs) That's what I have to say. Thank you for just going all out and naming it Death Mountain so that when I die a million times trying to get through it, I'm like, well, it's what it's called. Well, and at least in this game, it lives up to its name, right? I mean, you get you get you get your ass pumped. Definitely do. A lot here. So brutal. Yeah. That's it. Love it. I completely agree with you. (laughs) So we have got, of course, uh, we've got our next two parts, Bloopy Trails and Z-Targeting. And those have become shorter and shorter as we've kind of gone 
further and further into this game. So we're just going to do a lightning round here um, where the the first thing that comes to the top of your head, you just spit it out and we're going to run with it. Part four is, of course, bloopy trails where we talk about interesting things that diverted our attention. And if there is nothing that comes to mind, that's totally fine. But Ben, I'll send it to you first and then to Pat. So since I did a full playthrough over this, mine is going to be that you have to pick up the first heart container after beating Aquamanius in Dungeon 1. That is the first thing that has popped into my head. Gotcha. And I think so interesting, especially now we know that a lot of players take pride in being able to do things like three heart runs and whatnot. And I think it's unfortunate when you're not actually able to do that just because of something weird like this. You know, interesting game design, though, right? Like they wanted you to know you're supposed to pick this thing up. Right. So like, yep. because how would you know to pick that thing up? <laughs> you, you know, so, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Cool. I think the first thing that pops into my head is burning bushes. Mm. you know and just like and just how fun it is to take your new, your brand new red candle and just see what all you can light on fire as soon as you leave that last dungeon yeah it's like such it's such a fun mechanic they spent all this time building this map just to have you blow it up and burn it down Absolutely. you know like what what a fun what a fun way to interact with your environment there's not a lot of ways to interact with your environments in these early games and short of like pulling some vegetables out of the ground in Mario two and swinging on vines and pitfall. Mm. This is, this is a huge, you know, this is, this is a really fun thing that they included in this game. I'm going to come back to that point in just a second. Before we do that, I'm going to get into my bloopy trail, which was all I really did extra to the dungeons in this section of the game was stock up. I stocked up on bombs, on arrows. I went and found another old lady who sold me some potion. That's really it. I I 100%ed this game without even meaning to. I had all extra hearts. Nice. Like, yeah, like three weeks ago, I had all of them. I didn't even realize I had all of them, but then I went and looked and I was like, oh, cool, did that. So... Neat. So yeah, as far as uh, side quests and, you know, time spent not in dungeons, it was pretty minimal. That does, of course, bring us, though, into Z-targeting, which is where we lock on to fascinating characters or enemies that we happen to cross as part five of the Sacred Realms rundown. I'm going to go ahead and go first and just uh, just give my Z-targeting, uh, which is going to be the... Oh, I was actually going to say the blue whiz robes, and I'm just now remembering that I already did them in a past episode. So maybe I shouldn't have gone first. It's almost like they're haunting you. Uh, oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Like like I like I see them when I close yeah, exactly. my eyes at night, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I guess I'll go ahead and use my Z targeting on Zelda. Sure. Um, yeah. Why not? Yeah. She's a character in this section of the game. Certainly. Um I just think it's so funny, especially like, you know, later, later Zelda games have not featured Zelda nearly as much as I feel like they probably should have or could have, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, this one is very much like, especially given that the game is named after her, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, I really feel like this character, if you can even call her that, has has such little importance and weight to the overall story you know of this game like and even when you get to the very end um it's it's just so perfunctory where where she is essentially just an npc that gratifies you for spending your time having undergone this quest and yeah i mean such a prototypical version of zelda especially when you compare her to both link and ganon 
where this version of Link is pretty much the same as every other version of Link that we have in any Zelda game ever, right? Um, and this version of Ganon, plus or minus some character development, is more or less the same as every other version of Ganon that we ever have ever, you know? Yeah. But this version of Zelda is very much just like, uh, just just really wasn't there for for any of sure. it. Sure, I feel um, you. Again, I'll, I'll, I'll bring, I'll come back around though. At least you don't kiss her on the, or she doesn't kiss you on the cheek and bake you a pie, you know, like they, yep. they let her, <laughs> they didn't fill her out very much, but at least they didn't make her a damsel in distress in the same way that they made Peach that character. And that's fair. That's a good point. Um, I will go ahead and send it over to Pat. Who would your Z targeting like, be? If you, I like the old man that says spectacle rock is an entrance to death. Cause that is just like, <laughs> this is the most <laughs> ominous. Like, what are you talking about? And like, do I want to go there? Should I avoid it? You know, should I, is this where I'm supposed to go or where I'm not supposed to go? And this guy's just chilling between two flames. Like they all are. And just delivers this incredibly cryptic, morbid message that's my guy right there somebody has to have made a metal song oh, yeah. out of uh, yes, just that line definitely. right definitely spectacle is that entrance to well if nobody did it we just did it you got the clip you got the clip to start this episode right there <laughs> there it is there it, there it is there it is i mean uh it's ripe for a remix if nothing else like i'll send i'll send it off and there you go we'll become famous we it'll be great this. we got this um so yeah so then i would go with the new so we get two new enemies and i really like the patra enemy in mm. this yes. dungeon uh yes it hits incredibly hard if you get hit by it mm-hmm. um and the one that kind of does the the spiral pattern, it it looks three D ish when it's it happening. Does. It's very interesting it really does. that they managed to do that. You know, with the um, with the graphics engine that you know they they had here. And so I was mm-hmm. I'm always very impressed when I see the Patra. Uh, Me yeah. too. It looks it looks so three D compared to everything else in the game. Yeah, I'm always impressed by that. Did you know that you can hit that with the magic wand and harm it? Uh, I did not know that, but I'm glad to know it now, now. Not with the projectile, just with the wand itself. Oh, like just like if you were using a sword? Yep, exactly. Oh, cool. Which seems, you know, which seems like it doesn't matter. But again, if we're going to play this game a different way, like let's say we only have the wooden sword the whole game or whatever, then knowing that you can hit it with that wand, very important. Yeah, yeah. Well, Phil's hand-drawn game guides at the very end makes note that one of the ways that you can play this game is a swordless run. And that's probably one of the things they use for it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Very cool. Yeah. Which is, which is definitely a good thing to keep track of. I mean, like you said, sounds useless on paper, but if you're, if you're intentionally trying to undergo some kind of crazy challenge with this game, yeah, totally. Yeah. You, you take those tips where you can, where you can get them. Um, and I, I do completely agree with you that the pattern of the movement on those enemies is really interesting. It's, it's big shades of like things that would go on and be done more commonly on the SNES yeah, um, definitely. Um, in, like the, in the, in the, in the 16 bit era. So, you know, I was impressed by it. As I well. gotta say, like after this whole conversation, I'm so glad that you got to play this game for the first time, Lyndon, and that you're coming away with this different perspective on it and that you're excited to play the second quest. And Ben, you mentioned earlier that like 
this one of the ways that this game is like Breath of the Wild is that you can approach it in so many different ways. And I never thought about it like that. And this just gives me a new way to pitch this game to people that have never played it. Like get through it once, use save states, have fun with it, use a guide, and then you get a second quest and you can go back in and create your own second quest by creating challenges for yourself because it's really kind of a free form game compared to a lot of the games uh, of this era Certainly. and, and the games for the next, you know, 10 years. Yep. Yeah. Even, I mean, a lot of games between this one and breath of the wild, to your point, uh, you do not have this flexibility with, yeah. and, uh, for that reason alone, I feel like it deserves a lot of recognition and I think has, uh, more than earned its place as being a fun challenge in its own right, um, even past just being recognizable as being the first game in a in a storied series, facts, right? Facts. So this brings us pretty seamlessly into part six of the Sacred Realms Rundown, which is our final thoughts, where usually Matthew breaks down this game, uh, this section of the game, in as succinct a way as he can possibly think to do. Um, I will carry that torch for him tonight. I believe this is actually the first time that I've ever done it. Uh, that can't be right. I feel like I've recorded without Matt before, but I don't recall having done it before. Anywho, interesting trivia there. If anyone knows the answer, I forgot. I've slept since then. <laughs> Regardless, yeah, I know, right? I can't keep track of this stuff. Regardless, final thoughts. Uh, the ending of The Legend of Zelda brings us uh, a duo of difficult dungeons. There are a lot of interesting challenges to overcome, a lot of very uh, difficult combat, a gauntlet of incredibly tough enemies. Um, what we get are two fun experiences that, even if difficult to find, uh, more than live up to their status as uh, what are supposed to be the two most challenging dungeon experiences in this entire game. Uh, while neither, um, including the final dungeon with the final boss, Ganon, uh, might have the most challenging boss fights that we've experienced thus far. The challenge of wayfinding through the dungeon and acquiring the treasure um, is just as difficult as it ever has been. That brings us to the end of the very first Legend of Zelda game ever created, um, which truly set the bar. Uh, for what an exploration-based uh, adventure game could be um, and, uh, and and truly was the beginning of an incredible era of game design and uh, gave us the birth of my personal favorite video game series ever made. Um, and so if for no other reason than that, um, we can call this one uh, truly, uh, truly a legendary mm -hmm. creation. And uh, I am uh, personally very happy to have had the opportunity to play it and very glad to have come away from it feeling um you know feeling like i had fun you know which was the whole point <laughs> exactly exactly yep this of course brings us to the end of the sacred realms rundown we will be back in two weeks with our another installment of the sacred realms rundown that one will be covering the introduction chapters of zelda 2 the adventure of link of course <laughs> we're gonna have i know I right wait. yeah dear god help us <laughs> i'm so excited Yep. Oh God. Okay. I'm glad somebody is, but you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll find things to love there as there's, well. The same way that I, there's a lot of good stuff in that game and don't tell Ben, I said, Ben, cover your ears. I'm not listening. There's plenty of fun stuff to find in that game. Just be patient with the, just be patient with the fighting. Just be patient with the fighting. Absolutely. Rewind. We'll do Rewind. And 
of course, y'all will be invited back on to talk about that whole uh, experience with us, um, having played it somewhat recently awesome. yourselves. We're, we're always looking for people who have got more informed perspectives Certainly. than we do because, because we're newbies. Um, next week, we will be back, of course, with our traditional rank and recap episode where the detective will join us again and we will rank The Legend of oh, Zelda nice. alongside the other episodes that we – before we get out of here, Ben and Pat, Hyrule Podcasters, where can people follow you? Ben, you want to take this? Yeah, no, sorry. Um, you can, uh, yeah, you can search for us uh, on any podcasting app of your choice. At uh, we are High Rule Podcasters. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at High Rule Podcaster and on Instagram at High Rule Podcasters. And we also have a Patreon if you want to support us more directly. And I would definitely encourage you to go over and do that, especially knowing now that Ben and Pat have so many incredible projects coming down the pipe talking about such a wide variety of things. Uh, these guys have a ton of chemistry. And uh, yeah, I definitely, uh, you know, I may check out Sandman and then hop into your whole series on that and kind of follow it along um, during my first ever experience uh, with that IP because I've heard so many great things about sure, it. Sure, it's but, great. Even if you haven't read the comics, we, yeah. we fill you in. We fill you in. So you don't have to do all the heavy lifting. Love it. Love it. Well, guys, seriously, as always, I appreciate you coming on so much. This has been a great episode, even with the man down. I think we had a really good time. I'm very excited to have you back on for the adventure of Link because that is so much more of an unknown quantity. <laughs> I'm excited to come on to and me. talk about it. I really am. I'm not just I'm not just saying that because Ben's in the room. We, we've got a lot of people lined up who have um, actually a lot of love Good. for that game. And I, deserves, I feel like that deserves so, some love. I'm going to keep giving it hate, but I, it does deserve some love. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like the common knowledge is that that game is such a hassle. So I, I'm very, very glad to be getting some uh, contrarian perspectives yeah. to that to that popular narrative, at least. But uh that all that being said, we will definitely talk soon. Wish you guys all the best and really appreciate you coming hey, on. Thanks for y'all are awesome. Us. You're thanks awesome. Give your brother our best. Can't wait to talk to you again. Absolutely. Um, I think that that is gonna about tie us up for the day. Sorry, I was reading a text over here. Somebody texted me something about a Nintendo Direct, and I was just like, ooh, did they announce it? <laughs> and But no, it's just a friend of mine who's like, hey, did you hear about this Nintendo Direct? It's Bro. like, yes, I heard. I've just been talking about it. <laughs> you got me all excited for nothing. <laughs> but, <sighs> okay, and, I'm going to carry I'm gonna carry that energy into the weekend. Yeah. I had one more thing if you want to use it. Thanks for having us on the Sacred Realms Podcast. <laughs> that's a that's a thing now. We're gonna have to carry that forward. We have no other choice. The rules of content demand it. <laughs> I gotta say, you need to make Matt just do a five minute rant on how much he hated these last two dungeons and stick it on the end of this episode. It would yeah, just be priceless. Definitely. Definitely. I can definitely do that. And of course, we'll get a lot of Matt's unfiltered <laughs> opinions and views in that in that ranking. Yeah, the ranking recap, recap app's gonna yeah, be a lot of fun. I didn't think you were gonna do that until the end of the season, so that's cool you're gonna do it. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna rank halfway yeah, through sense. and then and then yeah, do it again sense. on the next one. But 
All right, y'all. Well, let's go ahead and get out of here for the week. If you enjoyed today's show and you'd like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod and you can become a patron. If you've got no rupees, it is not a problem. Five-star Apple podcast reviews are a great free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show. That makes us very happy Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sacred Realms Pod for updates on the podcast and for behind-the-scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our ranking and reviewing of The Legend of Zelda. The Legend of Zelda, if you're not caught up, can be played in a variety of places on the Nintendo Entertainment System, on the NES Mini, on a variety of eShops, and of course, on the Nintendo Switch Online NES service, which is the way that Matt and I have been playing it. In the meantime, however, may your hearts be full, may your arrows never miss. We'll catch y'all next time. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel and Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences.